Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this sermon from the series, I Believe. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Amen. Do you all believe this morning? There's some people out there that believe. I hear about six. But do you all believe this morning? Um, it was about two years ago I was driving and had finished a job in Newcastle, Kentucky and was taking I-64 to the Louisville area. We had a job to do in Jeffersonville. And I had my partner with me, uh, my best friend, uh, Derek. He goes to church here. Um, and he was driving behind me and we were heading down to, towards Louisville and we had got where the Gene Snyder is, if some of you know where that is. And um, we had passed that exit and I looked at my rear view and didn't see him anymore. And I thought, so you can take that other exit, and you may be able to get there, like Utica, Jeffersonville area, so maybe he took that. And I thought, it's probably nothing. And then kept driving, and then I thought, but what if it is something? You know, I kind of I'm, can be a worrier sometimes. So I went ahead and called him, and uh, he didn't answer, which isn't, isn't unusual. I called him again. He didn't answer again. Our trucks are so loud. We, I work at the cable company, and, and the bucket trucks are so loud. And if you want to hear music over that, which Derek's a partier, so, um, so he'll have his music up real loud. So I, it, it makes sense if he doesn't answer his phone. He probably doesn't hear me anyways. So I didn't panic about it. Um, but by the time I got into Jeffersonville, I was getting a phone call from, um, from one of the managers at work, and he said, where are you at? And I thought... Oh, I hope nothing's wrong. And then he responded, and then I was, when I told him where he is, he said, Derek's been in an accident. And I was like, oh, no. And he said, can you go, can you turn around and go? go? He said, do you know where he was? I said, he was behind me, and I looked in my rear view, and he wasn't there anymore. And he said, can you go find him? So I had to go backtrack all that way. And um, by the time I got back around, his, I saw his truck on the opposite side of the interstate, flipped over, and it was pretty kind of a scary sight. And, um, you know, by this time, like, it's on the news, it's hitting Facebook and stuff, and um, I'm just trying to get to him, and it seemed like it took forever. And when I got there, um, I went up, I pulled off the road and saw the truck and, and just was obviously in shock and kind of nervous because it's, and, and he wasn't there. Um, there was, like, a, I think, a, like, emergency response vehicle, but not an ambulance there. And, um, and I'm just looking at the truck. And I, I went around it because I was waiting to see, like, I kind of wanted to see if there was blood or if I could see, like, he went through the windshield or anything like that. Because I have no idea what condition he's in at all. So I, um, I got around the truck, and I was trying to see if I saw any signs, like, so I can see what had happened to him or anything. And I'm, I'm kind of nervous. And then when I'm looking, I, I hear, hey, man. And I, like, stopped and turned around. And he's, like, <laughs> he's he's walking towards me from this, I guess he was in the, uh, this emergency response vehicle. And, um, man, <laughs> dude is limping. Um, his truck's all smashed to pieces. He's <laughs> homie only had one shoe on. Okay. <laughs> he must've lost his shoe. And he's like, just kind of walking over to me. And I was like, what are you, what are you doing? And he's like, I, I refuse to get in the ambulance. I just want to go. They're going to take me to Louisville. I just want to be easier for, um, for Courtney, his wife, to, to be able to get to, um, to the hospital. Just take, can you take me to Clark? And I was like, I guess. <laughs> so, so he gets in the car, and, of course, we're hitting traffic, and we're, we're stopped. And I'm just like, dude, if you would have just gotten an ambulance, you could have gone through all this. Um, he was asking for stuff to drink. And, um, and which was fine until I looked over at him and he was starting to turn white. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if he goes into shock or something? So from there, we went to the hospital and immediately the hospital, they say he's going into shock. We need to send him to university in Louisville. So of course <laughs> that happened, but it ended up being, it was just uh, horrible. It was a horrible experience. I felt bad for him the whole time. He ended up with broken ribs, uh, broken back. 
and he was in pain the whole time. They didn't give him medication till we were in um, till we were in um, university hospital, and uh, and as soon as they were pumping the medication in him, I guess through an IV, um, he he immediately his body reacted poorly and he was going to throw up. Well, they had put a neck brace on him and he was on his back and he was writhing in pain. And I saw him starting to throw up and his ribs are killing him and hurting. And he starts throwing up and the nurse that's in there, she's like you're going to have to roll him over. I guess she was too little and couldn't get him. And, and so like I had to, you know, so he has already thrown up and he's kind of like choking on his vomit, which is just horrible. And here I am rolling him over on his broken ribs, you know, on the side of these broken on so that he can get the vomit out. It was, it was horrible. Okay. And I remember going home and getting to my house and just sitting there before I went in trying to clear my head with, you know, my best friend's puke, you know, he was best friend at my wedding. I'm the, you know, I was the best man in his wedding and, and, uh, it was just, you know, and now he's hurt, and, and uh, you know, it was, just, it was a terrible experience, okay? And I'd say all this, um, you know, not to beat up on Derek, because I was in a terrible, uh, or I was in a car accident that could have been just as terrible, but it ended up not being, and I wasn't wearing a seatbelt, okay? And Derek also was not wearing a seatbelt. And you see this all the time. Well, if they would have been wearing their seatbelt, if they would have been wearing their seatbelt, and I don't know if, if he would have been wearing his seatbelt that day, if it would have changed things. I don't know how much, he, if he would have had no broken back, no broken ribs, I don't know. Um, but I can tell you he, he wished that he was wearing a seatbelt. And, and it was the thing, same thing like when I did it and I was in a wreck. Um, people were like, well, why didn't you wear your seatbelt? And it's like, I almost, I, I normally, you can't say I always do now, obviously, <laughs> but I normally do. And I, in my head, I always do. And, um, and Derek was kind of the same way. Well, I normally do. I normally do. And this time, I just happen to not be wearing it. And, um, and if you look at statistics on accidents, I was looking up in the CDC, um, or actually, no, this is the U.S. Department of Transportation, states that motor vehicle crashes are the top source of death among those aged 1 to 54 in the United States. And with accidents and deaths together, uh, per year, you're looking at 2.2 million. That's a lot of accidents. And then according to, um, I think it's the CDC study that said, out of that, nearly half of all injuries and deaths could be prevented by wearing your seatbelt. Okay, that's, that's crazy. Nearly half. So you're talking about, about a million accidents that injuries that resulted in going to hospitals or even deaths, nearly a million a year could be prevented if people would wear their seatbelts but yet still people don't wear their seatbelts. It's crazy that people don't wear their seatbelts. I mean, if you ask me, I'll say I do it every time, but sometimes I get busy and distracted or whatever. But the reality is, is why don't we? And that's the difference between believing something and just knowing something. Because we know the statistics. We know that, we know that a seatbelt could save your life, but until you believe that, you won't buckle up. And that's the difference between believing and knowledge because knowledge doesn't always cause action, but believing calls action. Do you see that? Believing calls action. If you truly believe that your seatbelt is going to save you, a lot of times it takes accidents to put that fear in you to, to see that, then you'll buckle up. Um, I think for me, if you look at like, when I, you're, I'm going to get, I already feel the judgment coming, but when, when I go to, when I go to restaurants, especially if I'm like trying to eat right, which happens like every other week, but it fails, but normally I'll do, um, I'll do a diet soft drink. Okay. I like getting full a little bit. Okay. Have I read 
that like that there's terrible stuff in diet soft drinks and I'm like, yeah but I honestly deep down I don't really believe that it's going to hurt me that much I, I'm just kind of like I don't really believe it why so so since I don't really believe it guess what I do when I go to, to restaurants a lot I order a diet soda because I'm just kind of like I, I, it doesn't scare me that much okay belief cause action I don't really believe in the dangers of diet soda so you'll see me drinking a diet coke judge me okay <laughs> But, but when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to believe. We have to believe. And it causes action when we believe. And if you look at the word believe used in Scripture, it's the word pistuo. Pistuo is the word used there. And that's the Greek word for it. And what it means is to hold, to be true, to commit, to place confidence in. Okay, to place confidence in. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you place confidence in Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, then you're going to believe him to be true, or you're going to hold it to be true, and you will commit to it. It, it requires action. And we look at belief more like we have taken the scriptures, and we see where there's the word believe, and we just throw acknowledgement in there. I'm, I'm saved by grace through acknowledgement, or, or, um, or if, if I acknowledge Jesus, then I'm saved. For all those who believe in or acknowledge that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Do you see the difference there? Because we, we have knowledge in it, but do we believe? So faith is very similar. Faith, the, the word for faith is pistis. So you can see that the root word there for faith and for believe is very similar. Pistuo and pistis. And faith, faith is very similar. You can use that. You can see parts in Scripture where, where if you look at believe, faith is very similar to that. Um, but belief affects the way we live. It requires a response. And we're going through a series where we are going through the Apostles' Creed. We're not teaching um, directly on the Apostles' Creed, but we're looking at the Apostles' Creed, um, and we are letting it point us to the truths of Scripture in the Bible. So we're going to go ahead and read the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to ask you all to stand one more time as we read through this. Declare it. Declare it that you believe it as we read it. It's going to be on the screen. All right, say it with me. I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty from which he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Let's remain standing. I'm going to pray real quick. Dear God, we love you, and I just pray that you will open up our eyes to you this morning. I pray that we can look at, I pray that we develop a better knowledge of you this morning but also we develop a greater belief in you this morning. Help us to believe. Open up our eyes. Let our hearts be open to what you have for us this morning. Move me aside, God, and, and speak through me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You all can have a seat. All right, so the first thing I want to get to is that what we're going to cover today is the section where it says, Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And for every statement in here, you can put, I believe, in front of it. So what we're going to look at today is, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. 
That's what this message is on today. And I'm going to get into a lot of, I'm going to get into a lot of scriptures. There's more scriptures, I think, that I've ever had in a message. So I'm going to be definitely a lot more teachy than preachy. So don't just, you know, sometimes I feel like you all just like, you know, say, say something funny, okay? Well, I'm just going to be a little teachy today, okay? Um, think of me as like a college professor. Um, that's probably a bit much to ask. Um, <laughs> Maybe, uh, I don't know, just, just a guy talking about Jesus, and th- th- pretend you got like a test after this, okay? How about that? So I want to see fingers going through phones like crazy, your Bible pages turning like crazy, um, and uh, maybe look over your, your partner's shoulder and make sure they're not posting stuff on Facebook or whatever right now, okay? So here we go. The first thing I want to look at is I believe in Jesus Christ, okay? I've already talked about I believe. What it means to believe is to commit to something. So we're going to commit to Jesus Christ, Okay, and just the name Jesus Christ, a lot of us know this, but I don't want to, I don't want to assume the gospel. I don't want to assume knowledge in this place. We're going to, we're going to dumb it down a little bit. You know, Jesus Christ isn't like his family name. Okay, his last name is not Christ. He wasn't born to Joseph and Mary Christ. He didn't grow up on, you know, in the Christ family. The, The family carpentry business was not Christ and son. Okay, it was, he didn't, he didn't grow up on Mulberry Lane, and um, anyway, so Christ is a declaration of who he is. Christ means the Messiah, so when you say Jesus Christ, you are saying Jesus the Messiah. Okay, the original Hebrew is Yeshua HaMashiach. The word Jesus comes directly from Yeshua. Yeshua means salvation. The name of Jesus Christ means salvation. And originally, um, so you look at the name salvation being Yeshua, but then when it's trans- translated to Greek, it was Lesaus or um, pronounced Jesus, which that's where when, we, when it went to English, you get Jesus coming directly from the word Yeshua. Okay? So his first name is Yeshua. It means salvation. But then when you look at Mashiach, what does that mean? Mashiach means um, well, it was the Messiah, okay? So when they say, you are the Christ, what he was saying was, you are the Messiah. When you hear Jesus Christ, you hear, it's Jesus, you're the Messiah. And when you see Messiah in the Old Testament, um, or I'm sorry, when you see Messiah, when it was translated to Greek, was Christos. So you can see when that was translated to English, Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, you are declaring that he is the Messiah, what does that mean? It means the, the Old Testament. We're going to take a look at the Old Testament and see what that means. Um, yeah, we'll break it down. Okay, Exodus 15.2. When, when we see Jesus in the Old Testament, if you look at the name Yeshua, what does Yeshua mean? It means salvation. And he has given us shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament where we can look at it or foreshadowing. Exodus 15.2, this is Moses speaking, but it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. That salvation there is Yeshua, or Yehoshua, okay? That's where we get the name Jesus. So it's a glimpse of Jesus in Scripture. Why would he say he has become my salvation? If you look at Psalms 118.14, that same phrase is repeated. It says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation, you see, why would we need salvation? Because there was a conflict. Okay, we know that God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, the, the, the Godhead, the Trinity, everyone was present. And 
you see the, you had Adam and Eve, and they had a perfect environment, and they had complete communion with God. No sin, nothing holding them back. But then what happened? The fall, right? They sinned. Okay, Adam and Eve sinned. They ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat, which caused conflict between them and God, which caused a separation between them and God. And all of a sudden, they saw their sins, and they had to cover themselves up. They had to cover their guilt and their shame. And for the first time, they didn't have the communion that they had with God. Okay, and, and, and for, since then, mankind has been longing for that communion again to when we can walk and have that same relationship with God. And I want to point you to a scripture, um, Genesis 3.15, okay? And we're going to look at where Jesus, we're going to look at where we can see Jesus in the Bible. This is, or Jesus in the Old Testament, the first point to a Messiah, to someone that would change some things. It was like, immediately there was a mess up, immediately there was conflict in the garden, and as soon as, as soon as there was conflict, Adam and Eve sinned, and then Jesus, or then God is talking, you see he speaks to the serpent, and he gives us a glimpse of the Messiah coming, okay? Now, you're going to have to look into this. It says, Genesis 3.15, he's talking to Eve now, okay? He's already said with, with Adam, he's going to put thorns and thistles, and he's going to have to work the land, but he looks um, to, to Eve, or, or he's talking to the serpent, and he says, I will put anemone between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, we just read past that a lot of the time. Okay, we read past that a lot of time. But if we look at this, it says that he will put anemone between you and the woman, between the serpent and the woman is what he's talking about, and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, when we look at her offspring, it's important that we look at that because the Hebrew if you talk to Jews or Jewish rabbis, they, they see that as basically being the Jewish people. But it's actually singular. He is saying, there is someone that is going to come. Okay? There is someone. There's that offspring, that seed is a singular word. And he says, there is someone that is going to come, and he shall bruise your head, and he shall bruise his heel. Now, this right here is talking about, is pointing us to the cross. And it's kind of hard to see that at first, but when you look at it, it's talking about, one, I love how the, the, new, the NIV gets to it. It just says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And he's talking about Jesus here. And when you think about the bruising of the heel, it's pointing to the cross. Because in the cross, did you know that, that people thought that people would, or a lot of us assume people would die of, of, of basically loss of blood on the cross? But you actually die from suffocation. And before people suffocate, they're on the cross, and they would purposely drive nails through their legs, and, and they would be nailed to the cross, but then they would, they would push up and get air. What would they push up on? They would push up on their heels, which would call bruising of the heels. And this is God from the very beginning. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, he already, from the, even before that, he knew that there was a plan. He was going to have to sin Jesus before he even formed people. He knew that he had a plan. And I see, like, Satan, Satan pulls out his biggest deck first, and he, and he, and he tries to, he just puts his hand down in, in a card game, and he says, he, he, he lays it all out, everything. And I see him trying to put this out, and, and God's just saying, go ahead, play that card, because I've got one coming who you can strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And when crush your head, that is defeating him on the cross. Because when Satan defeated, or when, when Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, okay, he took back the dominion and what was lost there in the garden. 
That's what Jesus did for us. When he died on the cross for our sins, all of a sudden that shame that happened when Adam and Eve sinned and the same shame that we receive when we sin, Jesus took care of that on the cross. The cross was designed for punishment. It was designed for pain, but it was also to hold people up in front of people and because they were normally criminals, right? And it was to show shame. It was to show shame. So when Jesus was on that cross, he was carrying all of our shame and all of our guilt. And that was Jesus, when he was on that cross, it looked like he was being defeated, but what he was doing was crushing Satan's head. Okay? He, that is what we have when we see that. It's a, it's a beautiful point to the Messiah there in Genesis. And then as you read through it, you start to see even more glimpses of the Messiah. Um, you see in Genesis 22, 17 through 18, um, it says, I will bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring. This is, um, this is God talking to Abraham. And as the stars of heaven and as the sand in the seashore, and, of, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Okay? This is, this is a promise to Abraham that somehow through his line, he's going to bless the whole world. He's going to bless all nations. And he was talking about Jesus, another point to the Messiah. You see, God had a plan throughout the whole Testament pointing to Jesus, this Messiah that would come. Isaiah 6, 9 through 7 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and the peace, there should be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from his time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord's of hosts will do this. Okay, and even 700 years before Jesus, this is a long time before Jesus, you've got Isaiah 53 that says, Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Talking about Jesus. Jesus hadn't even come yet when that was being prophesied. It was pointing to the Messiah. So when you say the name of Jesus Christ, there's a lot more going on than just saying that someone's name. It's a declaration. When you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, you're saying, I believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that the Old Testament talked about. I believe that Jesus was the solution to the mess that I've created and the mess that humans created all from the Old Testament until now. I believe that's who Jesus is. Do you see that's what we're saying when we say the name of Jesus Christ, when we say Yeshua HaMashiach? Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely, and this name by which will be called the Lord is our righteousness. I've got one more. This is Micah 5, 2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth of old from ancient of days. Jesus, the Messiah. Now, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament leading to Jesus and how he would come, how he would be born, how he would die, miracles that he would do. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament. Okay, if I, if I told you, Within the next five years, there's going to be a tornado that goes through the Ohio Valley. 
you'd be like, uh, I wouldn't really say you're anything special because that's not that great of a prophecy, right? But if I told you that um, exactly, let's say 2023, um, April 3rd, in um, New Albany, Indiana, this, this tornado is going to come through. It's going to take out two school buses. Um, four people are going to go to the hospital. One's going to be in urgent care for three days, but then he's going to get out of urgent care and he's going to be fine and give you those details with every single extra detail I give you to that prophecy. That makes it extremely and like so much harder to fulfill with every single detail. But here with Jesus, the coming Messiah, we have over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled. That's Jesus Christ. That is the Jesus that we believe in. And I want you to understand, knowledge is great, but we have to believe this. And that's my hope for you today is that we can develop a better understanding of who Jesus is and the knowledge we have in Jesus so that we can just have a greater belief in him. Um, Matthew one twenty one says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, I read you three, two verses that had the exact same phrase. I'm going to read you one more. This is additional verse. This is Isaiah 12, 2, talking where it says Yeshua. It says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. We see that multiple times throughout the Old Testament. God will become my salvation. God will become my salvation. God has become my salvation. What do you think that's pointing to when we have Matthew one twenty one talk about God, okay, coming to earth in the name Jesus? God will become my salvation. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He is Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So let's look at how he's the son, because the second part of that is, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. It does say he's the son of God in scripture, but but who says he's the son? Who all says that he's the son? The first thing we're going to look at is uh, God says he's the son. This is Acts 13.33. It says, This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And when it says begotten you, um, there's all kinds of information on that, but it's talking about the resurrection when we see that. Um, Jesus' baptism, we see in the baptism, this is uh, it pointed out a lot when you look at it because it actually shows we see the entire trinity here. This is Matthew three sixteen through 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. So you actually have God telling us he's the Son of God. I think that's a pretty credible source, right? You look at um, Matthew um, from the Mount of Transfiguration. It says he has still um, he was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, "This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him." This is coming from God. This is coming straight from God. Now Jesus Himself referred to Himself as the Son of God. John five twenty five says. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. John also records in chapter 11, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this is uh, John eleven four. 4, 
But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And when he healed a lame man on the Sabbath, and he told him to pick up his, pick up his bed and walk, the, the Pharisees and um, the religious leaders, they, they accused him of, of um, working on the Sabbath, and they challenged him by it. This is John 5, 17 through 18. They challenged him because he was working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says this. He says, but, but Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God making himself equal with God. We see the angels declare that Jesus is God. In Luke 135, this is, um, this is Gabriel talking, and it says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Talking about Jesus coming. Demons also recognize him as God as well. Matthew 8, 29 says, And behold, they cried out, What have you done to us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Indicating, one, they knew that he was the Son of God. Two, they know that their time is coming. Why is their time coming? Because Satan's head has already been, they knew that his head was going to be crushed soon. They knew that their time was coming. This is um, the, the apostle, Simon Peter, in Matthew 16, 13 through 17, says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, What? You are the Christ. Okay, does that shed a little more light on that? You are the Christ saying you are the Messiah. You are the one that, that God had a plan for from the Old Testament till now. You are that one. Then he says this, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. We'll go for one more. Paul says this. Okay, so we've got, I'm just trying to bring up as much as we can, but Paul says this in Romans 1, 3 through 4, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no doubt that Jesus was the son of God. Jesus Christ was the son of God. You know, we weren't you can look at that and say, well, others are called the sons of God too because you can see in Scripture where Adam was called the son of God and um, I think Luke 3.38, you can see angels were called the son of God in, in Job. Um, the peace, peacemakers, people who keep peace in Matthew 5.9 are called sons of God. Christians are called God's sons, so what makes him special? Um, he is the unique son of God. Adam was the son of God in the sense that he was created directly by God. Adam, the first man, he didn't have a mother or father. He was created directly by God, right? So that he was considered a son of God. If you look at angels, they also, just like Adam, are sons of God by creation because God created them. Christians, we call ourselves sons of God by faith. Okay, we are sons of God through our faith. But Jesus, he was the son of God by possessing the very nature of God. He was possessed the very nature, the very imprint of God. He was the unique, sinless Son of God. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave, what? His only Son. His only Son. You'll see translations that say his begotten Son. 
Okay, we also see this in Scripture in, with Abraham. When Abraham was, was asked to sacrifice his son, in uh, Genesis twenty two sixteen, God says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, and you have not withheld your son, your only son. See, so now Abraham, had didn't he have another son? He had Ishmael, right? He had Ishmael, and he eventually had other, other kids, but at this point... He's calling him his only son. Why is he saying Isaac's the only son? Because he is the unique one. He is the one with whom all the blessings will go through. He is the one that, that Jesus, the line that Jesus will come through. This is the son of the promise. So when we see God referring to Jesus like this, okay, or when we see Jesus like this saying he is the begotten one, he is the unique, there is no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus because no one else shares the exact imprint of God's nature. Hebrews 1 is incredible, okay? If I had homework to give you, it would be read Hebrews 1 later. We're going to go through a couple verses in it, but Hebrews 1 is so thick, full of how incredible um, Jesus is and, and how he is God's son and the very nature of God. Um, but it says this, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's not just a son. He is the sinless son of God. He is the unique one. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of the deity uh, dwells bodily. John 1 5.20 says, I'm sorry, 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Jesus was God. Jesus was God. And he, but he still came to earth. And just like last week, Pastor Neil talked about how we can look at God the Father and we can look at Jesus and we can see how he responded to God the Father. Okay, we can, he's, he's, he's also a relational God. And we see Jesus, how he responds to the Father. And it gives us, one, we can see the Father in Jesus. We can see, if you want to know what God would do, look at Jesus' response because he's the very nature of God. So however Jesus would act with people is how God acts with people. Just look at Jesus and you see God. But you can also look at Jesus and see how we are supposed to respond to God the Father. Because he looked at God and said, not, your, not my will, but your will. He submitted to the Father. And that's how we are supposed to do with our relationship. When we receive, um, when we become heirs with Jesus and, and we are become children of God by our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ, we are supposed to submit ourselves to him as well. John 6, 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own, but the will of him who sent me. Just like our will should be, or just like what we should be doing is operating under God's will, the same God that sent Jesus, we should be operating to honor him. So we've looked at how he is the son of God, how he is the unique son of God, but then we also want to look at how he is eternally the son of God. Okay, because we look at this and we have a tendency to think that, that he has a beginning or that he was, he was born. Okay, Jesus was not born 
he was given. And I love how Isaiah 9, 6 says this. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What that's talking about is the birth of Jesus. A child would be born, but that was God giving his son. Pre-existence, okay? So it's giving us an idea that if something is given, that means it already existed. So God is giving his son, Jesus Christ, because he's already existed. When Jesus was born, a baby in Bethlehem, that wasn't the beginning of Jesus. He had existed long before then. Okay, he has been God's sons through all eternity. Jesus is not the literal offspring of God. His title, Son of God, does not indicate that, that, that he was born. Okay, John 1.1 speaks to this when it says the Word. If you read further in John, you understand that the Word is referring to Jesus. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So from the very beginning, Jesus existed as part of the Trinity. Because that is, that is the Trinity. He is part of that. John 17.5 says, Jesus is Jesus talking. It says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed saying that he was with the Father, he was part of the Trinity before the world even existed. John 17, 24 says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be where I am to, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. So Jesus existed. He did not have a beginning like you and I had, and he definitely didn't, didn't arrive and definitely wasn't created as a baby in Bethlehem. He existed long before that, okay? So now we see Jesus Christ. We see Jesus the Messiah. I believe in Jesus Christ the Messiah, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the unique one, the begotten Son of God, our Lord. And we just did a whole series on how, how Jesus is supposed to be Lord over our lives. And I think that's kind of where, where we land again, at believing versus knowing. You know, there's a, um, um, there's a uh, suspension bridge that they've put in Gatlinburg. And uh, I haven't been on it, um, but I, I intend to. But there are some people that will look at that, and there's no way you're going to get them on there. Okay, and, and here's the thing. You can point out scientifically why this suspension bridge is going to hold up, and it's actually, it stretches out from like little mountaintop or whatever to mountaintop, and it's super long, and, and it's got a glass where you can walk on the glass. And there will be people that in no way you will ever be able to get to walk on that glass. They could see 50 people larger than themselves walking across that, stepping on that glass, and they will not do it. Okay, they see the knowledge of it. You can show them every bit of it. Look, I understand that that's how it is. I understand that you're telling me this is going to work. But until they believe it with their whole heart, they're not stepping foot on that bridge. Okay, you have to step out on it. You have to take the step. You have to believe. Knowing isn't good enough. Knowledge isn't good enough. We can't just acknowledge something. You can't just, if you step up to the bridge and just say, yeah, I, I acknowledge it. <laughs> I get it, I think it will, and then you turn away. No one's going to believe that you really believe that, okay? Just like a, a seatbelt. If you get in a car as, um, let's say, the man of the house or mom when you're with the kids and you, you, get, you get in the car and you say, kids, it's really important to buckle up. I think it's really important. I believe that it is, but you don't buckle up and drive off. Okay, you've got to take that step. That's telling them you don't believe. But if you believe, you'll buckle up. If you believe, you'll take a step out on that suspension bridge. And I think that's what our faith is, because our faith draws us to action. 
Okay, belief draws us to action. And Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But if you believe, you're going to commit. And we read this a lot of the times like, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you know in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But that's not what it says. That's, that's not what it says. In Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. But it doesn't say, By grace you have been saved because you know Jesus died for you. It's a matter of belief. It's a belief system. When you believe, you commit. If you look at, if you look at Abraham in the Scriptures, if you look at Genesis 15, 6, it says, And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. It is your belief that counts you as righteousness, not your knowledge, not your actions. It is your belief. It is your belief. That is the only thing that is going to make you righteous is your belief in Jesus Christ. I don't know where you all sit today on this. I don't know where, we, where we're sitting. My hope was to just get up here and to look at some things that, that we assume, that most of us would assume we know about Jesus, to hopefully, maybe you've heard some of this before, but just a reminder about how God had a plan for the beginning of the world and, and um, to, to reconcile his people to himself, but not just his people, but, but the Gentiles, that's us. He had a plan through Jesus Christ to save us all. And his son went to the cross and died a horrible sin, so the, or died a horrible death, so that we could believe in him and have eternal life, so we can believe in him, so we can commit to him. So my question for you this morning, and that you should ask yourselves, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, but you're sitting in the driver's seat and you haven't even buckled up. Maybe you're saying that, you know, I've, I've, I, it's just a lot of head knowledge, but you can't look at your life and say, since I became a Christian, I've decided that, what have you, what have you sacrificed? What have you given? And that's just a heart issue, but I want you all to just, do some self-evaluation this morning and look at this term believe and say, have I committed? Am I operating on knowledge or am I operating on a belief that Jesus Christ has saved me from sin? Because I can tell you right now, if there was a bomb going off or getting ready to go off in this room and we had like one minute, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be running around telling everyone to get out and, and get out the door, right? You tell people. If it's serious, you'll tell people because I believe that a bomb would, would do a lot of damage to people in here, right? When it comes to salvation, people are sitting on a time bomb and they don't even know it. And are we doing anything to even tell them? Is it serious to us? Do we believe that the people that we see that don't declare Jesus' name, that don't believe in Jesus, the people that we see them on a regular basis, are we telling them? Is it serious? Because when they look at you, they see someone sitting there without a seatbelt on. They see someone standing at a bridge that won't take a step because what that is saying is, is that this is, this is serious, I believe, but at the same point, I don't believe enough to know that you're going to hell. If you believe, we got to take faith steps. Maybe your faith step is just to take the first step on the bridge. Okay, maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you're halfway across the bridge right now, and, you're, and, you're thinking, and your faith step is going to be, I'm going to start telling people about Jesus. Because I believe that they need Jesus, just like I need Jesus. Maybe that's where you sit on this. And the, the beautiful thing, and I think where that illustration falls short of stepping out on that bridge, is because the thought process is, I'm not going to step on this bridge because as soon as I take that first step on this suspension bridge, I have to go, I don't know if it's 200 feet, 300 feet, whatever. I have to travel 300 feet on my own. And that's where that illustration falls short because you don't. God just says, take a step. 
Just take a step, and he promises to get you there. You just take your step of faith, and you believe in Jesus Christ, and he shows up for you because he already did the work on the cross. You don't have to crush the serpent's head. He already did that on the cross, and we have victory through Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, we love you, and, and I just pray right now that, that in the name of Jesus Christ, we, we, just, we receive what you did for us, and we believe. Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the one that the Old Testament speaks about, coming to, to save and reconcile your people. I believe in the hope of Jesus Christ. I believe that you are the only Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. I believe that you existed throughout eternity and that you offer your hope and peace to everyone in this room. I pray, Lord, that, that, that your word has been made clear, but if there's confusion, Lord, then I just pray that it compels people to get in the word more, to search it for themselves, to find your truth so that they can develop a stronger belief for you. Lord, we believe and we commit ourselves to you Lord, I pray that we believe and commit in giving you everything. Lord, I pray that we just, there's nothing that we hold back. Because if we truly believe, then, then I understand that it's, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and talk to you guys. You can remain in an attitude of prayer. But I just want to say this. Part of believing is believing that whatever I've got going on in my life, whatever I'm holding on to, that if it's not working out, that what Jesus has for me is better than what I believe is better for me. That what, what God has for me is better than what Jesus, or is better than what I have for myself. And there's a lot of plans and a lot of things that have fallen short, a lot of things that we don't understand in this life, and, and, we're, and a lot of things that we're holding on to. But his word says, if you have faith and believe, then you will put that down and you will receive what he has for you. And that is a surrendered heart. A surrendered heart, a heart that looks at Jesus and says, I'm willing to give you everything. I'm willing to die. You go to games and stuff and you see John 3.16 everywhere. But you, but you don't see a lot of the time as you must die to yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But if you believe you're willing to die to yourself and follow Jesus, I pray that all of you will understand that. Lord Jesus, we, we pray that you will encourage our hearts today. For those of you that are holding on and keeping from surrendering, I pray that today is the day that they will say, I give my life to Jesus Christ. And that they will talk to a starting point guide or talk to me or talk to anyone and ask them for, to, to be led to Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and it's in your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in the series, I Believe. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.